We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. Your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, Love, because love is contagious. Peace is contagious. If you want to find peace, sometimes you have to go to war within yourself or go to war with systems and in the status quo to see for those that cannot see for themselves. And before we find that, we yield to the biggest revolutionary of all time, which is the Most High. Everybody from the fatherless, the widows, the broken, the babies, the elders. You want a revolution, be the revolution. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see all of you. Uh, for whom this matters, I missed you. Uh, it's good to be back. <laughs> uh, I say that not that there's some I don't miss. I say some of you don't know that I was gone. So uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in worship today at Branches. Uh, and just for an update, some of you have asked Landon and our new baby, Roscoe, are doing great. He's three weeks old tomorrow. Uh, he slept really well last night. Uh, which I guess he knew, you know, sermon preparation, got to be well rested. And so, but thank you all for your prayers and your support and kindness and just for asking about us. We're doing really wonderful. And so uh, Advent is my favorite season of the the Christian year. And so it's good to be back uh, during this season and to be with all of you. So again, just thank you. Uh, We're in this series called Revolution and Katie, uh, Pastor Katie Mears, she kicked us off last week uh, and just talking about uh, Elizabeth uh, and kind of her experience of of God's grace in in, in her life and just the expectation that that God said in her life to give us hope and hope being the seed of revolution. And and she talked about this hymn, this really beautiful hymn, The Canticle of the Turning. Uh, And in it, the hook is the world is about to turn. It's like in a very literal sense, a revolution is about to happen. And so with that spirit, we're now turning from Elizabeth's song and Elizabeth's expectation and hope in Christ uh, who is to come now to Mary. Jesus' mother, and the song that she sings. And so we're glad that you're here for that today as we continue in this series. And we're in Luke, uh, the very beginning of Luke, uh, and starting in verse 46 here, Mary's song of praise, what we call the Magnificat. So if you want to follow along on the screen or in your own Bible, uh, here is Mary's song in Luke's gospel. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown his strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit, open our hearts and our ears and our minds today to hear a word from you, to change our hearts to be like Mary's heart, one that yields to you, 
surrenders to your call, believes with faith, even fragile faith, that which you've promised, that which we should hope for, that which only you can do, not by our hands or our gatherings or our organizing or what we can do, but by what you can do. Help us step into it. Whatever you desire from us today, we ask that you would instill it on our hearts to answer yes to you. Ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we start, just want to invite you again, as always, to check in and let us know that you are here. Uh, it's good to know that you are here, and we can let you know, especially in this season of Advent, all the things that are going on in the life of branches. And we hope that as you came in, you got one of those cards that said December at Branches has all the uh, events coming up. I was telling somebody earlier, there's seasons where I'm like, are we doing enough? And so in response, we schedule a lot of stuff. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, we're doing so much. And we're in one of those seasons, December, where there's a lot going on in the life of our community. So let us know uh, that you're here today. We can keep you connected in that way. Like I said, we're in this uh, series called Revolution, and we we're looking at it from a few different perspectives, at kind of different facets. Uh, the, the turning, the like physical, spatial revolution. And then, of course, as we watch the bumper video together and hear AJ uh, kind of narrate this kind of understanding of revolution, we're confronted with our own connotations and evocations of what revolution means. When you hear that word, and you just kind of think in the moment, just kind of fresh, clean slate, when you hear the word revolution, what immediately comes to mind? Maybe some of you, it's uh, Mel Gibson and the Patriot. That was a pretty literal reading of the word, but fair. <laughs> and maybe it is, I use some of the images we saw today of uh, revolutions of like the 50s and 60s and 70s that saw, you know, people uh, kind of rising up and saying, the, the world, our society doesn't have to be this way, can we do something about it? Or maybe you think about failed revolutions or maybe people's misuse of the idea of revolution or even unfortunately armed revolutions where people use violence as a way to make the world change. As we were first talking about this series, I mean, this word came to mind partially because of that hymn, the Canticle of the Turning, that literally Advent is a revolution because it's a turning of the way things were to the way things should be, or God, the way God desires them to be. But knowing that to be the case, we knew that when we come into this idea of revolution, we're then confronted with all the baggage we carry with it. And the challenge for us is to give up with open hand to set aside all the ways that we want to revolutionize the way the world is by our preferences or the way that we want it to be or the way that we think people should think or vote or believe or whatever else and hand it over, as we'll see in Mary's story today, to the way that God wants it to be in Jesus. And we wanted to recreate, frankly, the tension that's sometimes lost on us in the Advent story that we, we get to Christmas way before we get to Advent especially culturally in the West, we want to start with Merry Christmas and Jingle Bells, and we don't want to start with The World is About to Turn. We don't want to start with Mary's song. We don't want to start with, frankly, the tension that Mary and Elizabeth and likewise Zechariah and Joseph and then eventually John the Baptist and even Jesus felt in this expectation of the world being different than it is. So we wanted to set the stage of that tension, and I was thinking this week again about what Mary would have experienced now, what she would have expected as a believing Jewish person about how God was going to revolutionize the world. We sometimes forget that Jesus wasn't the only messianic figure in the first century. That actually in a wash of them, Jesus was one that eventually then stood out and his movement still exists today and that we're a part of it, but there were other ones. If you think across the entire of Israel's history, from Moses to Joshua 
to the judges, the kings, the good ones and the bad ones, to the prophets, and then this hanging out period, waiting under Roman oppression, is this promised one ever gonna come? And what is he gonna be like? Is he gonna take up arms and tear down the way things are? Is he gonna come as an already full-grown adult? Is he an angel? Is he some divine being? Is he gonna con confront everything that we want to be destroyed and, and do exactly what we want him to do? What is he gonna be like? And he, I, I was just looking up some of these kind of first century uh, messiahs who we've now forgotten about because my, from my perspective, they didn't rise from the dead. Uh, and so uh, we kind of have a different perspective on them. Uh, Judas the bandit thief. I was like, am I reading J.R.R. Tolkien? Real person, Judas the bandit thief, not Judas Iscariot that was then to become one of Jesus' disciples. He was son of a guy named Ezekias, whom Herod had already taken care of. And really in response to this, Judas the bandit thief, See, you name your child and then you come across really cool names. Judas the bandit thief. He led a rebellion in Galilee where Jesus was hanging out and attacked its arsenal. So it was trying to get rid of all of its weapons so then they could take over. Um, and he was a, a kind of a chieftain of all these bandits. Uh, failed, didn't work. Uh, next, I was looking up uh, Simon of Perea. Uh, he was slave of King Herod, who we know about from the Bible. He was one of King Herod's slaves uh, and he burned down a palace in Jericho. Um, Herod didn't like that, as you might imagine, uh, and he was taken care of as well. Uh, but people thought he was the Messiah, thought he was the one to come deliver the Jewish people from their oppression of the Romans. Um, Athrogenes in Judea, uh, he staged an armed rebellion. People called him the king, uh, and we're saying king of Israel, um, against Herod's son, this next Herod, uh, uh, and the Romans. He had four brothers, and they were all this kind of movement together. Um, and this insurrection that he led lasted about two years was battling against Herod and this Roman oppression, really, for two years. Didn't work. Didn't come to pass. And you think about King Josiah in the Old Testament or John the Baptist. Even people expected him to be the Messiah. There's all these expectations swirling around people like Mary. And then Mary, if you read back a little bit uh, before the passage we read today, she hears from an angel directly, actually, none of those guys. And it's not going to be an armed revolution. And it's not going to be a bandit thief, as cool as that sounds. Uh, it's going to be your son, your baby. To you, teenage, unwed mother, you and Joseph are going to raise this child, and he's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. He's going to be God's presence in the world, and you're going to give birth to him. Mary's response, we see in, in the New Testament, is not initial like, cool, sounds great. <laughs> uh, and, and it wouldn't be for any of us either. And so Mary, we'll talk about this in a second, she does something that all of us should do when we think we hear a word from God, and she goes to confirm it with somebody else. <laughs> so she goes to Elizabeth, who's also heard a promise from this angel. And Elizabeth, is, it's amazing, she has this kind of physiological response. Her baby, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb. And then she celebrates Mary's faith that she would bring this to her. And then we get Mary's song, in the midst of this societal dissatisfaction that, again, we can so well relate to and resonate with, Mary, in the same way, says, all those other failed people that are supposed to deliver our people and, and then eventually deliver the whole world from their suffering and oppression, I'm going to give birth to him, allegedly. <laughs> He's going to be my son, and I'm going to respond to this call. That's where we find Mary. The world is about to turn, Mary, we might expect would believe, and it's gonna be on my baby's shoulders, on my child's shoulders. 
my son Roscoe is going to be three weeks old tomorrow. And, and this last week, we went to the doctor, and he, you know, if you've had babies before, you know about this, um, uh, sometimes their tear ducts are not coming in uh, and developing as well as they should, so their eyes get a little bit gunky. And just like in the hospital when they're born, they, you got to put erythromycin ointment on their eyes to avoid infection. So we needed to get some of that ointment for Roscoe. And so I went to the, the pharmacy at HEB, and as with any new medication, many of you have been through this before, they give you the new med medication and they say, go talk to the pharmacist and he'll advise you on how to use it. So you go to the other window, and this guy, he seemed very distracted. He's like looking at the bag and the paperwork, he's looking at the, the screen, he's looking at me, he's supposed to advise me on how to use this ointment. My mind, pretty straightforward, but whatever, I'll take the advice, taking lots of advice these days. And uh, he looks down and he says, oh, this is for a minor. So you're not putting it on your eyes, you're administering it. Will you advise Roscoe that it will blur his vision? <laughs> I said, I will let him know. <laughs> his eyes are closed most of the time anyway, <laughs> but I will pass it along. I was thinking about that this week to say, like, that guy heaped so many expectations on my child. Like, he has no idea. He's cranky when we put it on, then he's fine, you know. He doesn't know that his, bl blurred, his vision is blurred. He really can't even see that well anyway right now. Uh, and I just, like, multiply that by a million. That God comes to Mary and says, you know, your son, is, we're going to heap these expectations on him that he's going to be God's presence mediated in the earth, and you're going to give birth to that person. I was listening to Tim Keller talk about this passage this week, um, and he was saying, Mary, by all accounts, just think about the culture she was in, this story, had she shared it with anybody other than Elizabeth and it had gotten around, which it did, we know, her life was basically ruined. People thought she was a crazy religious fanatic. She was then having a baby out of wedlock, and then some of that responsibility was then heaped on Joseph to also raise him, and her life would have been ruined. And, and uh, Tim Keller uses this really wonderful phrase. He says, she has a semi-comprehending surrender. I thought, like, what a beautiful collection of words to think about the Christian faith, especially during Advent and what this revolution means. That we foolishly say, this baby born to this woman in the dirt, <laughs> essentially homeless by some account, to become a carpenter or a stonesmith, however you want to slice it, uh, we have, that's what our Christian faith is, a semi-comprehending surrender. If we have that, we've got it down, I think. Semi-comprehending surrender. And he says it's not sentimental at all. It's kind of dirty and, and rubs you the wrong way. It's like sandpaper. And that's what Advent is, is this semi-comprehending surrender that we want to surrender to God's ideal of what he wants to do in the world through Jesus, even if we think it's a silly idea. Even if we think it would be much better if he would just send a fully grown adult who could beat everybody up and convince everybody of everything, instead he sends a baby. And we try, and that's maybe our spiritual formation. And when we come to the table and when we pray together, when we read scripture, if you want to pray this way, you could say, God, will you give me some semi-comprehending surrender to this? Because it's not doing it for me or it doesn't make sense, or I don't see how in a history in the West of revolution, revo revolution, revolution of people taking up arms or marching in the street or voting a certain way or having a certain bumper sticker or a certain slogan over and over and over again, and it really never moves the needle all that much as far as we want it to be, that your plan to make revolution come, your plan to make the world a better place is to send yourself in the form of a wiggling infant. Help me semi-comprehend that and surrender to it. 
there's four things that Mary does that I say, okay, if we, if we want to be like Mary, if we want to posture our hearts like Mary in Advent before Christmas comes, these are the four things that we should do. First, these messages come in community. Like the way the, that God wants to, to transform the world is no man is an island. That no, no person is going to say, okay, the way God wants to change the world, he's going to do it through me, and uh, he doesn't need any of you. We read in the book of Acts that the, the way that God decided then to carry on Jesus' mission was to make a community, and we're doing that today. So A plus, we got the first one down. That God, when we read the scriptures, when we come to the table, these commands and these promises were given, we do it together and we partner together. And part of that too is when we're tired, when I'm tired and I need a little help to lean on you, I can lean on you and, and, and I want you to lean on me that we can walk through and be Jesus-centered people together. She goes to Mary, or Mary goes to Elizabeth. And part of that going to Elizabeth is the second thing we can have in our hearts is that it's discerning, is to bring to other people, say, I think this is what we're supposed to do. I think this is what God is calling our community to do. What do you think? There's this really great story, Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher, not really in my tribe at all, but really has a lot of great stories about him. Uh, somebody came up to him after he preached one Sunday and said, God is telling me that I'm supposed to preach in your pulpit next week. And Charles Spurgeon said, no, he isn't. <laughs> Discerning is saying, I think there's something collectively as a community we're supposed to do that God is wanting to do to carry out his mission in the world. Do you think that's right? It's not saying I'm determined for this to be the way. Mary's song is also other-oriented. Uh, the way that... that um, uh, Tim Keller puts it, is it's me, he, and there's an arrow in between. It begins with me, but not for me's sake, it's for he's sake, it's for Jesus' sake. She says, my soul, me, magnifies the Lord. He has done this to me for others. He has done this to me on his account. He's doing this through me for the world. He's doing this through me because it's what he's determined to do for all of time, for all people in all places. It goes from me to he. Because we live in a world, I think you guys know this to be true, that it's me, 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 me. It's about me. It's about what we want. It's about what we desire. It's about what we think is the right way to do it. And Mary in her semi-comprehending surrender says, me to be more like he. Can you imagine that? I mean, when you read scripture and you, your life circumstances change and uh, you read scripture a little bit differently. Just put yourself in Mary's shoes if you're a mother, if you're a parent, and say, my whole life is gonna be centered on what this person is gonna do. And in many ways in parenthood, they think that's true. But more than that, to look at your child with blurred vision, erythromycin on their eyes and say, they're gonna change the world. They're gonna save everyone, desire to save everyone. They're gonna give love even to the lowliest, most outcast person. They're gonna start a revolution that people all over the world will latch themselves to, and I get to be the bearer of that. There's an evangelist named uh, Leslie Newbegin who's had a really deep impact on me and kind of how I think about how we share the good news of Jesus with the world. And he spent decades in countries in Africa uh, as a missionary in, in, outreach, in outreach for the Anglican Church. And after his missionary work was done and he was retired, he spent decades in, in the continent of Africa, he went home to America and what he discovered, this is my paraphrase of what he, what he discovered, is that the devotion, the religious devotion with which peop, that, that people had uh, when he left America, they still had that religious devotion, but it wasn't around Jesus anymore, it wasn't around their gods, it was around their politics and their ideology. 
They were still religious. They were still fervent. They were still zealous, but it was for what they desired to do to organize and transform the world in their neighborhood through what they thought they could do in their, their own communities by what they could do with their own power and their own resources. And this is the way that he put it. He said, I recognize people who wanted God's kingdom, but they didn't want the king. I saw people that wanted peace, but they didn't want the prince of peace. I saw people who wanted justice, but they didn't want a judge. And I have to be honest, when I read Leslie Newbegin saying that, it was a hard pill for me to swallow. It was like, yeah, I think all of us want that thing. We want a kind, compassionate kingdom, or if we want to say community, but we want to do it our way. We don't want somebody else to rule it. We want peace, but we want peace our way. We want peace, maybe if, if I could just get peace, even if everybody else doesn't feel peaceful or complete, as long as I have it, that's okay. I don't want the Prince of Peace. Or I want justice for them. I don't want it for me. <laughs> I don't want to be found out. And what Newbegin is saying, is what's really describing is Mary's heart. is to say, I'm willing to give it all up, even for this foolish, crazy, revolutionary way of transforming the world. I'm willing to give it up for this baby I'm about to bear. I'm willing to give it up at the expense of knowing that so many messiahs have come and I'm trying to hold out hope that this one's not gonna be a failure. (laughs) I'm gonna try to semi-comprehend this new thing that God is doing and surrender myself to it. And so if we could do anything in this Advent season, leading up to Christmas, it's not sentimental, it's not quaint, it's not sweet, it's kind of hard to hear, it's kind of hard for us to stomach, it's this. But God is inviting us to to surrender, to yield to the foolishness that is his plan for the world, to become incarnate and walk among us, that promise all the way back in Leviticus, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will walk among you. And that first promise of I will walk among you was fulfilled in a woman and her husband holding the underarms of a baby taking first steps. That God came not power under to destroy and oppress and push down, but as we hear in the end of this bumper video from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, he says, uh, when you love, you will, you will push down with the power of your love. It, it squashes all of the hate and the injustice, the oppression that we all experience. And it doesn't seem like the right or the quickest or the easiest way to eradicate all of that, but it is the Jesus way. And thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. God, we don't get it. And we hear this story and it sounds beautiful to us and we make pageants about it and we have our nativity scenes and we see Mary and Joseph and the wise men and Jesus, this baby, this promise you've given us, you in the flesh. And you say, this is how I'm gonna change the world. Help us comprehend it. Give us yielding and surrendering hearts like Mary. Help us with open hands, give up the way we wanna revolutionize the world and hold tightly with firm faith the way that you want to change the world. The world's about to turn. We're on the edge of our seats. We're anxious for it. We're expecting it. We long for it. We want it to be true. Help us believe it so that we can share it with the world, so that the way of love, the way of peace, the way of other-oriented life would be the way that we rule and reign in the world as representatives of you. Make us more like you. Make this table a place where we can become more like you. Make our prayers and and our meditations and our conversations and our community a place where we can just learn to surrender together. We thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.